Kia ora. Welcome to the Arise Church podcast. For more details, you can find us at arisechurch.com. But right now, we're going to hear a message from myself, our Wellington campus pastor, Chris White. We really trust you'll enjoy today's message. If I could just be a little bit honest, when I heard we're doing a series on peace at this time of the year, I thought, I don't know if that's really needed, you know, because uh, it's summertime, things are heating up, everyone has op- rising optimism when, you know, then when that happens, uh, you know, Christmas is on the way, we feel excited about that. But I tell you what, if we look around the world right now, it feels like peace is a hard thing to come by. You know, right now, we are so aware of wars being waged in multiple places right now. And that is confronting, you know. And then there's the fact that then wars are continuing to wage on opinions about who's right and who's wrong. That's on in our media. That's on on social media. You might be experiencing that in your workplace, uh, maybe your family, community. People are arguing who's right and who's wrong. And if you're living in a time like this and there's internal conflict going on as well, then you heap all that upon yourself. And I tell you what, peace can feel like a commodity that's hard to come by. So I feel like this is a great time to talk about peace. I don't know about you. This is a great time to talk about peace. But before we go any further, I just thought it'd be so helpful to just define what peace is. So I go to the source for this, which is the Webster's Online Dictionary, uh, which we all know, uh, and, and just to get a great definition. So here it is, just very, very simply, peace is either one, freedom from disturbance or tranquility, or two, a state or period in which there is no war, no war. So the opposite of peace would be discord. It would be conflict, whether that's internal conflict or an external conflict that we've been seeing. I remember watching this Netflix show a little while ago. They were talking about the effects of social media and the internet on the state of our world and how we are when it comes to sharing different opinions. And see, back in the day, we used to be like a bell curve, you know, People's opinions on the extreme end would be like this, and then most people would gather in the middle. We could have the most people in the middle, shared opinions, and it tapers off to the other side. But what the effects of the internet and social media has done is actually begun to polarize those two ends. So you actually have more people on extreme on one side, more at the extreme on the other side, and less in the middle. And the truth is that The people on this side vehemently defend and oppose people who are on the other side. Now we see this online vitriol where people are like, how could you, I'm shaking right now. I don't believe you eat, you know, that kind of food. I'm not even gonna start. I'm not even gonna start guys because it could, you know, it could go anywhere. But we have this like, we have this like extreme ends. And funny thing is we talk about, you know, having tolerance for other people. But I feel like probably more than ever, we're often less tolerant than someone else's point of view at the other end of the spectrum than ours. That's often how it feels. Uh, And that's often, that's the kind of world that we start to walk into. And if that's true externally, then this is what I believe. Often, it's a reflection of what's happening internally. And if we are at odds with each other externally, then most likely many of us are, are, are at odds with each other internally. I heard this incredible analogy many years ago. I don't know where I heard it or where it came from, but it has really helped me understand this thing. So um, we often view ourselves as one person, right? That makes sense. You look at me and say, oh, at least you've got split, split personalities. You are one person, you know? But the truth is most of us operate like multiple people as a committee, 
That's often how we are. Let me explain it. So I'm the, I'm the big Chris that everyone sees, but I have multiple little Chris's who sit around the committee table deciding what big Chris will actually do with his life, you know? So let's just take, uh, let's just take a decision. Some of you are looking at me like, what? Can we get another speaker this morning? What are you on right now? Let's just, okay, let's just bear, bear with me for a moment. Okay, none of these Chris's, by the way, bear any resemblance. If they do bear resemblance to true characters, it's just purely coincidence. Okay, so, so let's say, you know, big Chris is going to decide, what does my morning routine look like? Okay, so the little Chris's get around the table. Husband Chris is like, ah, yes. Husband Chris is committed to his wife and his family. He's like, I tell you what, I don't want to plan too much about the morning routine because, you know, my newborn could be waking all through the night. And if he wakes early in the morning, I want to be there, ready to help, make sure it's all going to work. In fact, I'm going to make a coffee for my wife. So when she wakes up, she wakes up to the smell of coffee. You know, she's going to be, she, because she, my priority is towards her. I want to give everything I pour it into her. I'm going to even make a smoothie. My gosh, I'm going to put some extra bits and bobs in there. It'll just perk her up, you know, because I'm committed. And when am I going to go to work? As late as possible. Maybe quarter to nine. I might be, I might be a little bit late, but hey, I tell you what, this is my number one priority. My relationships at home, my relationship with my wife, I'm committed to that. I've read books about that. I'm I'm on board. But then we've got working Chris. What's working Chris like? Well, I tell you what, he wants to pour everything into his workplace. Why? Because this is his calling in his life, you know? This is, he's into it. He wants his staff to know they could get him at night or day, any time of the day, you know? That he's all about, like, go, he wants to go to work early. He's going to compromise. He's not an egg. He's going to compromise a little bit. He'll drop the kids off at school. I mean, they might arrive half an hour before anyone else so he can get to work super early. But that is him, you know? He's committed to that. So he's, he's there, you know? And then there's health, Chris, you know? I'm just, uh, again, like none of these resemble, resemble any real-life people. Health, Chris, he's determining, man, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with the husband, Chris, a little bit. I'm not going to go to work that early, but I'm, I'm getting up earlier, man, because I've got a plan. I'm going I'm to be exercising now. I've got apps helping me. I've got graphs. I've got charts. I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the rise, you know? I tell you what, I've got a lot to get done. And my family, they need to be responsible for themselves in the morning. My gosh, if you can't get yourself up and get dressed, that's your problem. A little bit of tough love never hurt anybody, you know? And now you can see we've got these three little Chris's trying to decide, man, this is harder than trying to get a coalition government together. You know, how do you make a how do you make a plan here? How do you come up with a, you know, move over Chris Lux and Big Chris is gonna step in now, sort out all the little Chris's problems, you know? And uh and, and I tell you what, if that's just that's just making a decision on what I'm gonna do in the morning. Man, add into the mix, what if, what if my circumstances are tough? What if I'm feeling pressures in this scenario? What if this bad situation happens to me now? Peace is becoming a tough commodity. How do I make decisions? How do I find peace in this kind of scenario? Last Sunday, uh, Ben Kendry spoke an incredible message. And one of his key points was this, and I need to reiterate it today, that peace is available. Peace is available. We need to hear that. We need to know it. John 14, 27 was a key scripture he used. says this. This is Jesus speaking. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The New Living Translation reads like this. I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. What is so important for us to realize is that peace is available. And why is that? Because peace is a gift from Christ himself. 
It's a gift from Christ himself. We receive it because he gives it to us. I think that's the incredible thing. Whether you struggle with internal peace or external peace, whether there's an internal battle going on or where you've got situations around you that are really tough, you need to know peace is available. It is a gift from Christ. So today, what I'm essentially going to do is I'm going to take one verse of Scripture. It's a small verse. It's not even comprehensive about peace, but it has been personal and it's been powerful in my life. And I'm going to just share a few thoughts that come out of how I unpack this verse. Is that okay? Before we do that, let's pray, shall we? God, I just thank you that you are the God of peace. Lord, right now, I just claim that this ground, this place is a place of peace. Lord, for everyone listening to my voice right now, I speak peace over their life. And Lord, I thank you that today, that many, many more will receive your divine gift of peace. We, we pray it, we speak it out in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, the verse I want to read out today is this, Colossians three fifteen, And it says this, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. It's short. It's simple. It's not even comprehensive. But here's a few of my thoughts that come from it. Let's take the first four words and let the peace. The first thing we discover here is that we have a part to play in this. See, the Apostle Paul is saying, you need to do something here. You need to let the peace of Christ come and rule in your heart. It's actually something in your hand to do. The challenge is that for most of us, when we've been feeling a lack of peace for so long, we start to feel like it's out of control. Or certainly, it's out of my control. And we can start to feel like that incredibly strongly. When I was 20 years old, it was probably the first time in my life that I experienced a moment where my peace felt absolutely out of my hands. If I was going to describe it, it felt like my hands were tied behind my back. Like I could do nothing about this. My favorite time of the day was when I woke up. And it's not because I was looking forward to the day, but it's simply the last seven or eight hours while I've been asleep had been the moments of peace that I had in my life. As soon as I woke, it was like I had a barrage of negative thoughts that started to hit my mind. What were they? I actually can't even remember for the life of me what those thoughts were. So obviously that's not an important detail. But what happened was I just got barraged with these thoughts. By the time I walked down my door, I described it like this. It was like a black cloud was over my head and I could not think clearly or straight. It sapped my energy. It drained my sense of purpose. And hope was seeping out of me. And I just didn't know what to do. And to myself, it felt out of control. Like I had no control over that. But the Word of God demands that we view this differently. Because Paul is saying, let the peace that comes from Christ. He's saying, you can do something about this. We have a choice in this scenario. And right now, some of you are going, I don't know what that choice is. Well, I want to help you with that. We actually have a choice. We can take action. Our hands may be tied behind our back, but we can still move our fingers. Our hands may be tied behind our back, but I can still open my mouth. I can cry out to God. I can actually move my feet. I can walk towards help. I can move my feet and walk out of situations that are harmful towards me. We have options. We have scenarios. And that's what I started to do. I started to tell my closest friends about what was going on. 
And uh, can I just, real quick aside, I was 20 years old. My friends were all 20. None of them were training to be counselors. You know, sympathy was probably not one of their biggest strong points. Um, but I tell you what, they were committed to me. So like at the time, you know, I'm a fairly jovial guy. I wasn't cracking any jokes at the time. I wasn't smiling very much. I'd started to lose weight. I wasn't overweight. You know, some of you think, oh, that'd be great to lose. I'm not, I wasn't overweight, so this was a bad scenario, you know? And, uh, and so they decided in all of their wisdom that the best way they were going to support me was speak a positive confession over my life. So they changed my name and they decided to call me Fat Funny Chris. And, uh, and uh, I tell you what, if you're considering supporting someone in this way, I just think, think carefully about that option. Uh, that may not be the most helpful tool uh, uh, to someone. But I tell you what, stepping back, I'm like, I'm like, I actually appreciate that. You know, my friends have no clue how to deal with this scenario, but at least they're saying, hey, we back you, mate. You're fat and you're funny, you know? And somehow it did something to lift my spirit a little bit. It really didn't get me out of any more than that, but there we go. That was that. But then I also took my feet towards someone who could help. I actually went to a counselor for the first time in my life. And can I say, for some of us, we feel a bit like there's some, you know, there's some blockage around that kind of thing. Like, I should be strong enough. I should be man enough. I should be experienced enough to not need a counselor. Can I say, every now and then, we're designed to be around other people who have greater sense of expertise. They have another perspective. They can look into our lives. They can help with scenarios. And immediately she started to notice things about what was going on in my life. She was also an incredible woman of faith. And she began to pray for me over that period of time. And I tell you what, with the time that I spent with her, um, I, I, I heard the voice of God clearly in my life at that time. And I actually saw a real freedom from that moment. There is always a step we can take. You may feel like your hands are tied behind your back, but you can open your mouth. You may feel like your hands are locked in together, but you can move towards help. You may feel like there's nothing you can do to control those thoughts coming in, but you can actually walk out of scenarios that are harmful for you. The next thing is this. The next four words, and let the peace that comes from Christ. This peace comes from Christ. We need to understand this. This is significant. Christ is the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 9 verse 6, it talks about the fact that, you know, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is his divine nature. That's who he is. This peace that comes from Christ is divine in nature. It is not earthly. It is divine. It has divine power in our lives. We're going to go back to that key verse that Ben Kendry spoke last week, John 14, 27. This time we'll read it from the Amplified Bible. And in the Amplified, every now and then it puts words in brackets. And what it's, what it's doing is it's trying to explain to greater detail what we might be missing just in the English. Sometimes you use other phrases, other words to give us greater insight. It says this, peace I leave with you. This is Jesus talking. My perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. Some people in this room, you're thinking, what I'm going through, that peace doesn't seem to penetrate. Can I say, no, no, no. The Word of God says this, that God's peace is there for every circumstance, for every challenge. His peace is perfect. It can break into your situation 
into your scenario. It has the power to overcome the work of the enemy. If you're churned on the inside, if you're struggling to find a sense of uh, a landing point, if anxiety is, is rising up, God's perfect peace is available to you. He's giving you a gift. It has divine power to overcome the work of the enemy. And this is a powerful thing that we've got to thank God for. Uh, we need to understand that when we receive that peace, that's the peace that was in Christ. When Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's going through all that he had, that peace, or as our definition said, freedom from disturbance, tranquility, despite all that was going on around him, that is the peace that he's handed to, to us. You know, this passage in John, you go back earlier and you go forward, you know, a whole bunch of chapters before and afterwards, it's just a long conversation with Jesus and his disciples. And in chapter 17, he goes on to pray for us. He actually prays for disciples and then prays for the believers that follow. I think that's pretty cool because in John 17, you can read the very words that Jesus has prayed for you and for me here in 2023. It's amazing. Often we, when we think of uh, uh, you know, great heroes of the faith, faith, we often think, man, how good would it be to be close to them? How, how close can I get? When my mom passed away, she left a Bible and, and I got to keep the Bible. And I opened it up. There's all sorts of you know, scrolled notes down the side, memorabilia, bookmarks, all sorts of random things. And one thing fell out, and it was like a, a little package, a plastic package, and inside it had a small leaf and an inscription written in it. And it said that this leaf is from an olive tree in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'll be honest with you, my fourth, first thought was like, man, what a gimmick. You know what I mean? Like someone's making some money off this thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I mean, that tree was probably planted 30 years ago, you know? Uh, and what we're trying to say is, oh, it was there at the time? I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, um, I, I decided I'm going to look up, just a matter of interest, how long do olive trees last for, you know? So I looked it up. So olive trees tend to last for 500 to 1,500 years. Like, oh, that's a bit longer than I thought. The plants I plant in my house normally last for about three or four months. Obviously, buy the, buy the wrong plants, you know what I mean? I got to buy olive trees. That's what I got to buy, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and then I'm thinking, well, that's fairly significant. Still doesn't take you back to Jesus' time. Then I read, oh no, there's other strains of olive of plants, in, especially in the Mediterranean area, that last for uh, normally about 2,000 years. Then it said, there's some olive trees in existence today that people debating how old they are, but they're thinking it's more like 3,000, 3,500. Some are even saying 4,000 years old. Now I'm looking at this package and going, holy moly, like this leaf is from, I mean, it's a small chance, but there is a chance. This leaf was from a plant that was there at the time when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, when he is praying, God, you know, if you can... Uh, Get, get rid of this cup of suffering. I don't want to drink it, but I tell you what, your will be done, like not mine. And I'm thinking, this leaf, what has this leaf seen? What has this plant experienced? This is a, I need to put this in pride of place. Now I'm looking at this completely differently. We need to put this, I need to frame this. We need to nurture this. Nothing can come and I need to protect this thing, you know? What a load of rubbish. I tell you what, no, we don't need to protect the leaf. What's more powerful is the peace that was in Jesus Christ in that moment. Now he's given that peace to you and me. 
it is not just any peace. It is His peace. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. You've got to understand that peace that you have, you have to nurture it. You have to put it in pride of place. It is worthy. It is powerful. It has divine power. That peace that gave Jesus a grounding in that moment has come into our life too. It's absolutely incredible. Just a... Um, in John 16, 32, it says this. A time is coming. This is Jesus talking about that moment. And in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. In that moment, can you hear his distinct lack of disturbance, of turmoil? There's no war going on there. He's facing a moment where it's like, this is all going to turn really, really bad. He's telling them, he's predicting, you're all going to scatter. You're all going to leave me. He knew he was about to face death. He knew that torture was on the cards. It was a possibility. He said, it could look like that everyone has left me. He goes, but no, for my father is with me. That was the truth of God that had dropped into his heart. That was the truth of God that was brought divine peace. That's what sat inside of him. What we need to do is we need to let the peace of Christ Come and rule in our heart. It belonged to Him and now belongs to us. You need to understand God's peace is in your heart. His peace is in your life. Goes on in the next verse to say, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And if the worship team could come up on stage, it would be great. The next few, few words say this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule is significant. It's powerful. It's, it's a purposeful word he's put, put there. It, is, it has supremacy. It's the highest position. Everything comes under its authority. So peace rules. Not anything else. Not anxiousness. Not turmoil. Not anger. Not tension. Not worry. But peace rules. And where does the peace rule? It rules in our hearts. Our hearts are the wellspring of life. That's where we draw our strength from. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Our heart needs to be guarded. The peace of God needs to be nurtured and taken care of. If we allow turmoil, disturbance, conflict to remain unchecked, unchallenged, then it poisons the waters of our heart. And now when we drink from the wellspring of life, we drink from waters that are muddy with anxiety, poisoned by unrest, churned with agitation, disturbed, fear, intimidation. But the writer is saying, let the peace of Christ rule. Let it rule. Let it take authority. You know, every now and then, we need to recognize what the enemy is trying to do in our lives. We need to actually speak it, speak it out. We need to come against it straight away. You know, Jesus was tempted, was, was tempted after spending 40 days in the wilderness. He was, uh, you know, he, he'd been fasting. And immediately when the enemy came, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. How did it come to him? Was it fairly obvious? Was it like our kind of temptations? Just a thought pops into your head. But immediately he recognized, he goes, no, no, this is a thought from the enemy. And he goes, no, 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 it's written, blah, blah, blah. And he just... He just used the Word of God. Immediately, he kicked it out of his mind. Martin Luther said this, 
You cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. The enemy will come in with all sorts of thoughts to disrupt your peace. He'll, he'll try and get them to sit and to settle in your life. But we need to rebuke those thoughts. Man, we need to recognize them for what they are. But can I say this? If you don't have the power to do that, if your energy is sapped, then we can model what we can do off David. Because David was a man of peace. I want to read this scripture. Psalm 42 verse 5 says this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I'm going to read a few more verses from the psalm because it's pretty powerful. But what I want you to know, David knew how to nurture peace. How do I know this? Because he was called upon when other people suffered from a lack of peace. Saul was king once. He was disturbed. He had internal conflicts. He had demonic influence over his life. When he was experiencing those bouts, he called for David. David came in. David played his heart. And peace came to Saul. Why did that happen? Because David knew how to nurture peace in his own heart. He knew how to do it. Did he experience times of turbulence? Yes, he did. Times of unrest? Absolutely. But he knew how to respond. Psalm 42 is like an insight into the mind of David. I'm going to tell you three things that he did. Then we're going to read the scripture and have a look at it. See how it plays out. So three key things that he did. Number one, he actually named those bad thoughts and experiences. He named them, said them out loud. You might think, oh, isn't it better to try and not confess those things? You know, aren't we better to ignore that stuff and play it down? No, no, sometimes every now and then, it's actually really helpful to get it out into the light. I'm feeling this. This is a rubbish scenario in my life. I'm feeling absolute anxiousness because of these situations. And tell you what, modern research shows as we often do that to something that sits internally, then we immediately start to take away some of its power in our lives. This has nothing to do with, you know, Christianity. People are recognizing this is the truth. You know, when uh, in Scripture it says, confess your sins one to another, and the, the prayer of a righteous man will, will bring healing to someone's life. Half of the power of that is to actually bring something out into the light. When we name it, we actually immediately begin on the road to find a recovery in our life. The second thing he did, he reminded himself of the goodness of God. We're going to see that in a moment. He recalled stories. Immediately, you know, for those who've been locked in a, a, you know, a turmoil for a long time, you feel like you're going through the same patterns constantly. What David did is he changed the pattern. He goes, I want to recall what God did in my life. The pattern's changing now. He's changing his thinking process. He's recalling those moments. And as he does so, his body starts to change. What our mind thinks upon affects our physiology. So now his body is reliving some of the joy from those moments when God came to him. The relief when God turned up. The, the exaltation when God brought saving grace and saving power to his life. And the third thing he did is he spoke the truth of the Word of God into his spirit. Let's read Psalm 42, just 5 to 11. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. See, now He's naming it. He's getting it out in the open. Therefore, I will remember you. 
That's his pattern. That's what he does. When I'm in this state, I now start to remember you, God. From the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, he's remembering places, moments, opportunities where God had broken into his life. It's changing him internally. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs His love. Now He's speaking the Word of God into His life. This is the truth, God. By day, You direct Your love into my life. At night, Your song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. But then He switches again. I say to God, my rock, why have You forgotten me? He's naming it again. Sometimes we go around in circles. You know, it's actually okay to keep going and keep, keep processing this thing. He's saying, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemies? External circumstances he's talking about now. My bones suffer mortal agonies. My foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? But then he comes back again. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Can we stand to our feet across the room? In a moment, I'm going to release uh, Porirua, but just stick with me for a moment. You know, as I was preparing this, I'm like, this just reminds me, the way that God works in us, it's like this water filtration system, you know? You have a swim, if anyone's had a swimming pool, you leave it over. Winter, it gets mucky and dirty. and There's been no, you know, it's been stale. Nothing's going in, nothing's going out. And now it's growing stuff you never want to see again. You know what I mean? And uh, how do you clean that? It could, oh, mate, we've got to remove everything and put it all out. No, you don't. What you need is a great water filtration system, you know. You turn that thing on. You put the chemicals in that need to take place. And you leave it sitting for a while. I tell you what, an hour, it's not going to look any different, you know. A day is probably not going to look that much different either, but you keep it going and eventually that water will turn to become crystal clear and your family will enjoy it over the summer period. You'll be swimming in there, having so much fun. It's the same with our hearts. It's the wellspring of life. It's like water. We need a water filtration system that we can switch on. We do these things and we name the things. We remember the goodness of God. And we speak the Word of God into our heart and into our life. And as we do that, God will start to purify the wellspring of your life. It will become a wellspring of joy. It will become a wellspring of hope. It will change the way you view your world, the, the way you view future. What I want to do now is we're going to take a moment to worship God together. And I'm going to invite you to hear from God. You know, when Jesus was about to face the Garden of Gethsemane, there was a single truth that He knew to be true. Everyone may scatter, but my Father will be close with me. All of us face trouble. That's what Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble. And every single one of us face trial and struggle right now. But God wants to speak a truth into your life in this moment, in this period of time. That is real for you in this moment. He wants to let you know something about what's important for you. And well, I'm going to invite you to listen to the voice of God. We're going to worship together. Then we're going to pause, take a moment. And we're going to let God speak to you. And as God speaks, He's going to speak a truth that will actually bring, it'll unlock His peace into your life. It'll unlock His joy into your world. It'll unlock a sense of security and sure foundation. He's going to do that into your, into your mind right now. So I invite you, open up your heart, open up your mind, and let God start to speak to you.
Thank you for joining us for the Arise Church podcast. We hope this message has blessed you. For more content or resources, visit arisechurch.com. Matiwa, see you soon.